Hello and welcome to the HSS podcast series. I am your host, Paul Verhagen, Associate Data Analyst at the Hague Center for Strategic Studies. Just as fossil fuels have shaped the geopolitical map over the last two centuries, the renewable energy transformation will alter the global distribution of power, relations between states, the risk of conflict, and the social, economic, and environmental drivers of geopolitical stability. This line is drawn from the new IRENA report by the Global Commission on the Geopolitics of Energy Transformation. Renewables will bring a new world of energy transformation that will leave no nation unaffected, and it will be the topic of today's podcast. Today we'll be discussing the new report by the ARENA Global Commission entitled A New World, which was published in early 2019. Joining me to share their expertise is our own in-house strategic energy analyst, Jan-Frederik Baan. Uh, thanks for hosting me, Paul. And joining us by telephone, former Chief of Defense of the Armed Forces of the Netherlands, retired General Tom Middendorp. Well, thank you. And thank you for inviting me for this uh, podcast. So for this podcast, we'll be holding on to a basic structure of three different points. So one is an introduction into IRENA, as well as some insight into why this report, A New World, came about now and why now is a good time for that report. And second, we want to look into what is actually in the report. What are the highlights? What are the curiosities? What are the interesting points? And third, what is not in the report? What is not being said in this report that is worth mentioning? We meet at a time of profound change. The energy transformation is fueled by a remarkable surge in renewables that is driven by markets, cost reductions, and technological innovation, and whose momentum is growing. Renewable energy is the key solution that will put us on the path to achieving the ambitious goals of the Paris Agreement. The increased exchange of best practices and knowledge sharing will be essential moving forward. So both the opportunities as well as the challenges of the energy transformation and transition were formulated there by Director General Amin of IRENA and uh, Prime Minister of the Cook Islands, Henry Puna, um, and serves as an excellent starting point for this discussion. So let's get right into it and discuss what is this International Renewable Energy Agency, more commonly known as IRENA, and what is this report that was written by the commission? Jan. Yeah, so IRENA stands for International Renewable uh, Energy Agency, and it was established in 2009. It is the first and only worldwide or global uh, intergovernmental organization that's dedicated to supporting its member countries in their energy transition efforts. It has an advisory function and um, yeah, it's open to it. Basically, it's open to membership uh, for countries all around the world. Uh, it's, uh, in that regard, it differs, for example, for uh, in membership with other uh, major energy organizations, such as the International Energy Agency, which is only open to OECD countries. It focuses on renewables as well as on fossil fuels. And of course, OPEC, which is um, well, which is focused on uh, oil uh, on oil exporting countries in the Middle East. But um, so uh, it's a very unique institution, and it focuses on a form of energy that is, in one way or another, or more or less available all around the world. That's solar, wind, and of course, also for example, geothermal, and also of course, hydropower. So, so that's in a nutshell what Irena is. 
So you already mentioned that Arena is kind of the new kid on the block, and that's different from these really sort of geopolitically oriented actors like OPEC and IEA that were explicitly founded in the 1970s to deal with the oil crisis. When was Arena founded? Uh, it was founded in 2009, as I, if I'm correct, and it's operational since 2011. So it really is a new kid on the block. You're right about that. Yeah, that's true. And this commission is an interesting cast of characters. Can you tell me a bit more about who these commissioners are? Yeah, this, uh, so this Global Commission on the Geopolitics of Energy Transformation was established during the General Assembly of ARENA in January 2000, uh, 2018 by the Director General of ARENA, Mr. Uh, is, is, he's, a, he's a gentleman from Kenya called Amim. And he had established this commission uh, as an independent advisory commission to the member countries of ARENA to, to sort of come to grasp what exactly does the large uptake of renewables means for interstate relations what is actually changing um i mean and also what can we expect now that we're getting a more and more increase of the usage of solar and wind power mostly what does that mean for interstational relationships what does it mean for new actors like citizens and cities uh i mean like will it become more or less influential will also like relations between states also change also i mean these are all kinds of things that this commission uh that this commission was assigned with as a task uh the commission consists of 18 i think 18 or 19 commissioners they speak in an individual capacity so they don't represent their country or their own organization and they come from across all the world so it's not a purely european and american exercise but these commissioners they really come from all parts of the world asia the middle east uh, latin america etc so a real effort was made to try and conform to this multi-stakeholder model. That's kind of the, the new norm of these kinds of organizations. Yeah. And it's all, yeah, that's one thing. The second thing is that it also hosts a lot of energy, the more, uh, how you say it, the more conventional energy wonks, but also people from the World Trade Organization, the, the European Union, the United Nations, but also equity, uh, I think also an equity investor from Russia, somebody from China, from the petrochemical industry. So, I mean, it's a wide range of different actors. There's nobody in there from the renewables industry, like, for example, Elon Musk, because Irina would be too biased if you would, I mean, their main job is pushing for renewables. If you would have somebody in there that's also very clearly pushing for more renewables you would seem even more biased so they stayed away from like putting a high profile renewable energy actor in there because this is indeed one of the main criticisms for agencies like the iea and opec is that they're ultimately interested in extracting oil or at least they're interested in the price of oil in particular and that they've unkindly been referred to as energy lobbying agencies as opposed to actual research agencies. I think that's more for OPEC, not so much for the international, not so much for the international energy agency. They also very strongly focus on renewables, but they still, but they're a very, how I would say it, they're a very, they're a very conservative organization. OPEC is really, it's, I mean, it's really about setting the price for oil globally. Yeah, that's true. And in that sense, Arena is something completely different. Okay, so what is actually in this report? What, what's, what are the highlights that you read out of this report? The most interesting thing, first of all, you have to really imagine. So you have to think about the fact how this was written. So if you, if you think about the fact that ARENA is an intergovernmental organization, you would be, have to be very delicate about what you're going to say about 
all countries all around the world and what the influence will be of an uptake of renewables for their very particular situation. So it's very much a political document. And this document, what I found interesting about this document is that it points out, although not in these terms, but it points out winners and losers in the renewable energy transformation. Uh, that's one thing. And I said specifically energy transformation is different from energy transition. And that's a very important distinction that this report makes in the sense that energy transition is the shift from fossil fuels to renewables, whereas energy transformation also points to the broader social, um, I would say it's social implications, social economic implications of the shift to renewables. What does it mean for all kinds of relations between different kinds of actors, government actors, commercial actors? Uh, so that's one thing. And this report makes a clear distinction between countries that are heavily investing in the energy transformation and also in very specific energy technologies such as China, such as the European Union, such as the United States, but also countries who are not who are not on this path yet and they are more or less labeled stigmatized as losers think of saudi arabia think of indonesia think of a lot of countries that are heavily dependent on fossil fuels so that's something that i found quite remarkable because i wouldn't have expected such strong language from such a delicate document to be honest that's very interesting because obviously the geopolitics of energy is, is quite sensitive and, and actors like Saudi Arabia have quite a bit of sway within organizations like OPEC, but apparently are getting kind of the bad end of the stick in the IRENA report. Yeah, that's really interesting. So it was written, so it, it's, it's, uh, it's like this, I mean, like this report was uh, ghost written by an academic. Uh, and, and he sort of got input from, from all the different stakeholders. But of course, a lot of countries didn't want to be stigmatized as winners or losers. Well, they wanted to be, I mean, like they want to be stigmatized as winners, but not so much as losers. Of course. So, uh, what they did in the report, they named countries more or less resilient to energy shifts or like the more diplomatic language. Yeah. But um, yeah, so this is very interesting. And you're seeing in this report something that a lot of us already know, that China is leading the way in the, uh, in the whole renewables revolution. It scores the highest on the list of um, energy patents in this field, uh, followed then by the United States and by countries such as Germany, uh, the usual suspect, so to speak. But China is by far and away uh, the leading country in investing in renewables. I want to talk a little bit about the timing of this report because we're at a very auspicious moment in world history where China is becoming a very eminent superpower. There's a transition in the oil, whole oil landscape from the US being a net importer to net export of oil. Uh, and this is in addition to all these kinds of things like the election of President Trump, Brexit. What about this big moment in time makes this report so valuable right now? Why is this the right moment to have this discussion? So it's a perfect storm of, on the one hand, large economic factors who are seeing a rapidly, a rapidly decreasing cost of renewables worldwide, especially wind and especially, of course, solar. We're seeing new technological developments such as storage becoming increasingly cheaper and uh, it won't take a long time before they uh, before they can be used on a much larger scale than today. But, uh, and we're also seeing on the policy front, the increasing use of energy and climate targets. A lot of countries around the world are adopting these. But there's also the more problematic public opinion uh, in the fact that we're seeing huge problems regarding 
regarding issues of pollution and also um, public that is increasingly worried about the consequences of climate change. And, and, and all these factors combined were a very big stimulus uh, for the Director General of ARENA to say we have to think about these issues in a different way than we used to because ARENA usually, it usually produces very technological reports about specific technologies. This is not technological at all. This is a ver- almost a sort of a sociological study in that sense. Because it looks at all of these different conflicts and it sort of paints a canvas of all these different factors. So it's it's heading towards this sort of nexus-like approach that climate change has typically become of all these different interconnected problems that are just really quite fundamental to solving uh, world security and peace. Um, I would like to move to General Middendorp. You've spent a number of decades working on geopolitics as a whole, and now there's this new dimension of renewable energy comes in. How is the renewable energy geopolitics changing or shifting or causing a recalculation within the broader framework? To me, it's very clear that the energy transition is more than just a shift from one set of fuels to another. It's a complete turnaround of the world's energy system that will have a major social, economic and political implications, which go well beyond the energy sector. But let me first start with the good news. The transition can create a quiet energy revolution in fragile developing countries, allowing these countries to leapfrog fossil fuels and centralized grids, like they did when they jumped straight to the mobile phones. And I think that off-grid energy systems can be a tool for development, improving quality of life and improving economic opportunities for underdeveloped uh, populations. But at the same time, we need to be aware of the possible downside this transition. At first, there is the risk of a power vacuum in petrostates. Uh, these petrostates, they gained uh, their political influence because of their position as a supplier of scarce resources. And the transitions will likely lead to a decline of the global reach and influence unless they succeed in adapting. And the last thing I would like to mention is that transition introduces new vulnerabilities in the energy supply chain that will become more decentralized and innovation-driven. New vulnerabilities like the protection of intellectual property, the availability of new critical materials, the dependence of grids for energy transport and distribution, and the cyber protection of digitized energy networks. Our mission is nothing less than a comprehensive global green energy transformation in our lifetime. Plummeting costs and rapid innovation has spurred investments, transforming renewable energy from niche to an economically and technically preferred solution. So we just heard from the chair of the commission, uh, Mr. Grimson from Iceland, and uh, the director general of IRENA, Amin, from Kenya. Uh, And they set forward quite a bold vision that we're looking for nothing less than a global green transition. Um, the general was involved in uh, the process of writing this report as an external advisor. Uh, and the, the key behind this report was actually that it was supposed to be both a first assessment of the role of geopolitics and uh, renewables in it, as well as the first starting point for a political discussion on that topic. And it's, it sort of deviates, if I understand correctly, from the traditional reports that are written by these kinds of institutions and in that it doesn't make concrete predictions in terms of time scales, but rather looks at macro trends. What are you looking at, General, in terms of which specific regions are interesting within the report that are highlighted? 
Well, I think it's, it's good to stress that the impact of energy transitions, uh, transition differs per region. It's very different if you're in the Middle East or in Africa or in South America or in Asia, how it will affect you. Uh, it's, it also depends on how your population is developing, on how your economy is developing. And uh, we see countries heavily depending on the import of energy uh, and others heavily depending on the export of it. And the, the impact is, is very, very different. And what this report does, it gives kind of a baseline, a baseline of how it will affect these different types of countries. It really shows what countries are very depending upon fossil fuels, what countries are depending on the import of energy, and, and to what degree are they dependent upon it, and how will they be affected in general terms. And with that, this report is an excellent starting point for these countries and for international organizations to further assess uh, the effects of uh, energy transition and to translate that into scenarios and to make sure that the risks that are involved are addressed in time. Now, taking into account that ARENA is this, uh, that this particular report is a very broad scope kind of approach, what, what's not in the report? What's not being said about the geopolitics renewables within the context of this report? Of course, what's not in the report is the fact that there's a very strong continuing role of oil and gas. Uh, if you look at, for example, that uh, that the whole worldwide demand for oil is growing by 1% to 2% a year, and uh, that the financial returns from oil are still higher than those from renewables for a lot of oil majors. Um, there was a story in The Economist, a thought-provoking story in The Economist about ExxonMobil pushing for even uh, actually bigger investments in oil. Um, so that's something that's not in a report. You know, it, it, it really doesn't really mention this continuing role of oil and gas. Yeah, I find it interesting that one of the, the people on the commission is, is the CEO of China Petrol, I believe. Yes. Um, and indeed, there's sort of this knee-jerk response to, to ban out all things that have to do with oil and gas, ExxonMobil, these kinds of guys. Um, and I was personally quite pleased to see that at least these guys are sitting at the table and that they have a voice to speak, even if um, their role is controversial. What is the sort of future of oil in this context? Are we going to go to an oilless future by 2050? Or That's a very good question. And that's something that's, of course, also not in the report. So like I said earlier, they stayed away from making kind of the predictions, like what's going to be the role of oil. To be sure, or really to be honest, we don't know what that role is going to be. I mean, we all hope. I mean, if you look at uh, the if, if you look at the climate purists, we all hope an oil, or, or we're all hoping for a future that's one hundred percent renewable. The Ocasio Cortezes of the world, exactly. The people who are pushing for a new green deal. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, like those kind of people, they don't see a role for oil at all. But if we look at a lot of the production processes in the industry, if you look at the petrochemical industries, there's a lot of processes that, that cannot be made with with the electric power, for example. Right. It's not a substitute available. Yeah, it's still not available. It can actually change quite fast that it will become available. But at the moment, it's, it's still not the case. So it's hard to define. Uh, and I think that this global commission does want to stimulate the debate on this, but they don't say it very, very, very strongly, or they don't say it at all in this case. Uh, but that's something I think that's really something for future research to actually look into. So this report is not so much uh, a sort of Apollo moment of I'm going to firmly plant a flag and we will boldly go or wherever uh, with projections, but more of a, a sort of first 
draft for a political discussion on okay let's talk about this thing yeah what are the people involved yeah that's right and they're also very i mean also like another point of critique is they're very optimistic about the role of renewables as a driving force for a um, actually a decentralized democratic energy system that will empower populations all over the world uh, with no role for the big oil majors and the big fossil fuel majors. You have to take this with a big grain of salt, I think, because you're already seeing worldwide that the major companies are repositioning themselves. They are becoming service providers. If you look at Shell, it's investing massively in hydrogen. It's looking at e-mobility. It has the capital. It has the connections. It has the know-how, it has the economies of scale to invest massively in renewables. And you and I, as citizens, we don't have that, you know? I mean, we can put some solar panels on a roof, but that doesn't mean like that we have a well-functioning energy system. It takes a lot of capital and it takes a lot of know-how. And these, and these major companies can actually provide that. So I think that there still will be a major role for these companies. And this report sort of acts like... Oh, it's all going to be it's all going to be decentralized, and the consumer is going to be a prosumer, and everything is going to be fantastic. But uh, I think we have to be a bit skeptical here. Yeah. So what I understand from you is that we've made a good beginning. We're not there yet. Um, General, has has the tide turned? Is this a is this a historical aberration? Is this something that can reverse itself? Well, I agree that we are at the beginning, uh, and it's only a small percentage. But at the same time, uh, I would like to stress that this momentum is irreversible. It's happening. It's happening all around us, and it's picking up speed. And the IEA has to adjust its forecast every year, because it's picking up more speed than they expected. So we need to take this very seriously, and I think it also needs to be part of the solution. We have to counter climate change, and we have to deal with uh, the fact that we are running out of resources while our population keeps on growing, and our standards of life keep on improving. So we are running out of resources, so we need alternatives. And this is the way to go. So there's a, there's sort of a bold vision set forward, or at least a general direction that we should head uh, in the report. Uh, and it's sort of this, this kickoff for a political debate. And yeah. it's framed this debate. So what happens now? Is, is this just the first report? Is there going to be another report? Should there be a, a UN convention? What's going to happen? In the introduction, we heard the Prime Minister of the Cook Islands, Henry Puna, say or talk about increased exchange of best practices and knowledge sharing will be essential moving forward. And that is in a nutshell what the follow-up work uh, actually contains of this global commission. We have to really go into depth here, region by region, country by country, and look at what is necessary and what is required to chart and also be able to formulate policy regarding the energy transformation in different countries and different regions. Uh, that is that is what's necessary. Second, it's basically that this commission only had a mandate for one year and this uh and this was due to the fact that the current uh, that the current IRENA director general uh, is at the end of his term. Uh, I think my idea is that Irina would like to spend a lot more time on the subject and also give this also give this global commission a new mandate. But this global commission was mainly financed by Germany, Norway, and the United Arab Emirates, so it was not it, it was not financed by all the Irina member countries. But I do think this is just the start of the whole political debate. I think it would make a lot of sense to actually look on a country by country and a region by region basis what kind of measures are actually necessary to 
actually drive forward the required change. And also maybe look at establishing some kind of geopolitics of renewables platform inside ARENA or separate from ARENA, where the different member countries, but also other stakeholders, for example, the Elon Musks of this world, can actually talk about what's happening in the private sector, what's happening government policy-wise. I mean, these are all kind of things that that you actually need to that you actually need to elaborate on. So that's uh, I think those are a few things that really need further research and a lot more effort. But it also I think it also of course needs money. And the question is who is going to finance this? So in conclusion, what's essentially needed is funding to direct more research and also manifest a concrete follow up on this report, which is evidently a only a starting point for a much larger and also truly a global effort towards this energy transformation. For more information on this, you can find several reports on our website, including one on the geopolitics of the energy transformation, as well as many other topics on our website, hss.nl. We invite our listeners to visit our website, and we hope to have you come back to listen to our next podcast as well.